Welcome to Small Talk Tahoe, an original production of KidZone Museum. We chat about parenting and play with community experts and hope to bring you useful resources with a uniquely Tahoe flavor. KidZone Museum is a nonprofit children's museum in Truckee, California. Our mission is to inspire learning through creative play and discovery. While our primary programs serve children up to age seven, our new museum will have expanded space and activities for children ages zero to 110. I'm your host, Helen Pelster. In this episode, we get to learn about another favorite local nonprofit, the Humane Society of Truckee Tahoe. My guest, Aaron Ellis, has been with our Humane Society for 14 years. She shares her depth of experience as a community member and mom to three kids. We chat about children and pets and some of the very unique offerings for families here in Tahoe. Before we get going, many of you have asked how you can support Small Talk Tahoe. Thank you for that. Can you take five minutes to share the podcast with five friends? Help us spread the word to parents, grandparents, and family members near and far. This is a great, no-cost way you can support our work. Now, let's listen in. Right. I'd like to welcome Erin Ellis, who is the Community Engagement Director for the Humane Society of Truckee Tahoe. Erin is mom to twins who are five and a 10-year-old and one dog. Yes. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I am, I'm so excited because pets, especially dogs, are so integral to our Truckee Tahoe culture. And the Humane Society is a really special organization here in Truckee. Um, Tell us about that. Well, I agree. Um, I think we're a special organization as well. Um, We have been around since 1994, and um, we've been in our new building for about eight years now. And so that has really kind of expanded our opportunities and allowed us a lot of growth over the years. Um, We've been able to expand to the whole Lake Tahoe Basin, as well as all of Truckee, and then up north on 89, we service Sierra County as well with some programs and services. So in the last, you know, five or six years, we've really branched out and we've been able to do just even more than what we were doing before. Um, We're still considered a rural shelter, but, um, but we've been talking on national levels of different conferences and talking about what we have going on. Um, so a lot of people in a lot of places are starting to recognize what we do and who we are and what we stand for. So it's an exciting time. It's awesome. I think I'm a great person to interview because I'm allergic to dogs. <laughs> so we don't have pets at home. And I'm pretty clueless. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, start by educating me. Like, fundamentally, what does our shelter do? So we work in partnership with the Town of Truckee Animal Services, and that's sort of how we came to be. Um, It was a group of kind of concerned community members that came together in 1994, a year after the town incorporated. 
and animal services became a part of the town's incorporation. Um, and the town's job is to help with um, animal calls. So if someone needed to relinquish a pet, they could no longer care for them or keep them or didn't want them. Um, if they found a stray animal, if they um, had complaints with a barking neighbor's dog or a neighbor that wasn't properly caring for their pet, um, that would be their job. But as they were bringing animals in, it's a difficult process to then get them out and it takes a lot of funding. So these group of members came together and they said, well, you know, what if we did that side of things? What if we ran the programs and the services, you brought the animals in, we partnered, and then we worked together to help our community pets. So that was kind of the foundational start of, you know, the grassroots effort. Um, and then we just kind of grew from there. We expanded into the North Lake Tahoe area when the Tahoe Vista shelter closed um, in 2015. 2019, the Humane Society in South Lake closed and we expanded our programs and services into South Lake. And then we realized there was a pretty big missing gap up north in Sierra County where it's extremely rural. Um, there's a big lack of resources up there. They don't even have an animal services department. And so we decided that we would help community members in the north as well. So we've kind of grown. Um, like I said, animal services job is to bring the animals in and then our job is to take over from there. Um, educate the community, get the animals adopted, promote different outreach programs that our community needs and wants. Um, for example, community spay neuter programs for those that are low income or that need the assistance, offering a free pet pantry food program to anyone who needs pet food. And that's been something we've been running for years and years before COVID even hit. So um, we've been able to kind of meet the needs of the community and continue to grow and continue to understand our community to meet further needs because we know that there's some holes missing out there and so we're continuously looking for just how can we be better how can we help more i love that i love how your creation story it's very similar to kid zone grassroots community built yeah and really grown into something really professional yes and um but unique too yeah and when we were talking a week or two ago you were telling me the really unique thing about families and how they are a big part of your programming yes. at, at the Humane Society. So um, tell our listeners about that. So there's this idea right now of, you know, the diversity and equity and inclusion. And I think that we really started on that path years ago. So when I first started, I've been with the organization almost 14 years and I went to my first conference and I realized the industry I had gotten myself into, I had no idea there was so much information. I had no clue. There was so much education. There was so much stuff that I felt like people really needed to know. But how do you get that information to them? How do you get them to listen? How do you get them to change their minds on certain things like adoption versus buying or spaying or neutering their pet versus allowing them to remain unaltered? and the importance of those things. And so I went back to my office after attending that first really big conference and I decided, we, you know, we need to do something a little bit different here. Like, how do we include more of the community? And the easiest part of the community is, are the kids. You know, they're like these little sponges where we can give them information and we can allow them to be a part of our journey so that as they become adults later in life, they can make those important decisions but have all the information. 
So if they do decide to go buy a pet, hopefully we've given them information on to where to go. You know, who's a reputable breeder? You know, the hope is that they'll come and they'll adopt. But the hope is also that they'll take this information about what it's like for an animal in a shelter, what a shelter's really like, what we do as employees, who we are, who Animal Services is. You know, Disney has unfortunately kind of painted this picture of the pound and the dog catcher, and there's this negative connotation with that that I wanted to to dispel and teach kids as they grow in their journey to adulthood, you know, what it is we do. What is this hub, you know, space in the community all about? And so that's when I decided, you know, we had teenagers as volunteers, but I went to our CEO and the uh, manager of animal services and I said, what do you think about lowering the age? Like, What if we had kids? Which at that time in animal welfare wasn't really heard of. I think there were maybe a few shelters in the U.S. allowing kids to come in. But I thought, you know, if we did it safely, if we set our trainings up right and we could teach the kids and families together, then it's all hands on. And kids get this real life experience of what a shelter life is like, what an animal goes through, what it's like to walk those animals, to socialize those animals, to train them and to be a part of the pet's process from the initial into the shelter to their final home. And so I wanted to just kind of take all this information that I was learning at that time too, but incorporate it more into our community, be a bit more inclusive at that time and include more of the community as much as I could. Um, you know, thinking that instead of being the hamster stuck in the wheel, I wanted to be the hamster outside of the wheel. I wanted to be in that little ball that gets to go around the house, <laughs> not inside the cage, stuck in one spot. I wanted to be able to explore more. Um, so that's kind of where in how we started to incorporate families into what we do. Right. And I know one of the ways you do that is through a summer camp. My yes. daughter went some years ago and loved it. Yeah, so when we opened up the new shelter, that allowed us to do things that I wasn't able to do back then. So when I started, you know, part of our mission was education, and that happily got dropped into my lap, which was something I wanted to do and was hopeful to have. And as we moved into that new space, it really opened up all these ideas of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and field trips and incorporating summer camps. Um, we did movie nights we have and then we have speaker series for adults too so it's not just the youth of our community but we're incorporating important topics in our field with the adult population as well but um but it allowed us to be able to do more once we got into that new space i i love talking about this because i'm dreaming about kids Zone's new space <laughs> um, which is which is um quietly coming along it's exciting and we very much hope to flourish in exactly the same way and be able to offer more programs, expand on our existing programs that we just don't have space to provide right now. Yeah. So it's very inspiring. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. It, you know, the old shelter was dilapidated. I, I half joke when I give orientations that we held things together with duct tape because there were things in the shelter that literally were duct taped. Yes. (laughs) It's not even really a joke. (laughs) It wasn't a joke. (laughs) A lot of the hoses had duct tape around it because we knew that moment was coming. And we knew that when we got into that space and people could see that, you know, we are professionals in our industry. We are not people who just play with pets all day, but that we are in the business of helping pets and that we are professionals in that industry. But that space allowed us to do that. And, um, and I think it will for you guys as well. I hope so. I, I'm sure it will. And you guys already do a good job, a really good job. Thank you. Um, 
Back to pets and kids, again, being that I'm, you know, completely clueless, what is uh, the process, like if you want to introduce a pet to your family and you want to um, do it responsibly through the shelter, what is a parent, how do you go about that? I think it's always good when the whole family is involved in the process. So, you know, the parents can come and meet the animal, but I think it's also important for the kids to be a part of that introduction as well. I think that, you know, the animals get to know and get to have a say in whether they want to be a part of this family as much as the family gets to say if they want this pet to be a part of their family. Um, We have fostering programs too. I know that, you know, in in finding our dog that we have now, um, we fostered several dogs and we had one that, that even kind of dug out from the backyard and ran away. And I knew at that moment that that dog wasn't for us. Maybe not. <laughs> no. With three kids and it's loud and a lot going on, it wasn't the space she wanted to live in. And I knew that. And that was okay. But, you know, even for myself, you know, including my children in that process was important. So whether it's through fostering where you have the pet in your home, you go through some training with us and we get you caught up to speed on just how to be safe with the pet. You can do it that way, um, or just bringing the family to the shelter during open hours to check out the pets that we do have, and then getting to meet the animals. Um, our staff is really good at talking families through how to introduce yourself. You know, let the animal meet you first. A lot of times kids come running and charging at pets, and that's like if I had met you for the first time and just hugged you. It might make you feel very uncomfortable because I haven't even told you who I am. (laughs) We didn't shake hands properly. And so with pets, you know, when I go into the classroom and when I'm teaching kids, you know, we go through this, you know, how do you meet an animal properly so that the animal feels comfortable with you and you feel comfortable with the pet? So our staff walks the parents and the kids through that process. So it's not just kissing the animal in the face and grabbing them and hugging them and taking them by the collar, but just a more slow introduction of getting to say, you know, that handshake of, hi, my name's Erin, and and having the animal also introduce themselves. Would you mind sharing that a little bit, that process? Sure. So to meet a a pet on on the trail or something. Oh yeah. So this is something in every single presentation I do, whether it's in a classroom or in a field trip. Um, even though a lot of times we use our pet assisted therapy dogs who have been certified, I have the kids go through this process every single time through everything we do because I think it's through repetition that kids really start to learn um, and it becomes second nature where that becomes the new norm for them when they see a pet. Right. So what I tell the kids is that um, we go through the whole process of, okay, I'm in front of your classroom. If I had walked in and just hugged each of you, would that make you uncomfortable? And a lot of the kids will say, yeah, that would be uncomfortable. I said, you know, if I came in and said, hi, my name's Erin. I work for the Humane Society, introduced myself. Would that make it feel more safe? And they said, yeah, that would feel safe. So I say, okay, well, then that's how we're going to meet the animals today. So when you approach an owner on the trail or an owner, you know, dog comes into your home with the owner, it's always important to ask first. So first you need to get the owner's permission. In my kids, it's ingrained in their head because they are animal enthusiasts. And and it took time to get there for my own kids. Um, But now they know when they see an animal, they ask. And if the owner says yes, then the animal needs to smell them first. It's kind of like that handshake. And so you just kind of put your hand out in sort of a non-threatening way. So just palm down, fingers down, let the animal smell you or smell your legs. 
And then after they're done smelling you, there's a couple places on the dog or cat um, that do like to be pet that becomes a little less threatening than just going right over the top of the head. That's more of a um, kind of a scary, more dominant behavior. Not, not every animal likes the top of their head touched in general, but they do like underneath their chin, on their sides, mm-hmm. on their um, the sides of their back. I wouldn't have known those It's kind things. of a less right. threatening introduction. So then the animal goes, oh, they're sort of speaking my language. So we're, we're teaching the kids to sort of speak dog, cat, you know, not meowing or barking or anything like that, but just through what's comfortable for the pet. And then once the animal warms up to them a bit, then it's, you know, kind of petting them in different places or asking the owner, do they have a special spot they like to be pet in? Are there, are there spots they don't like to be pet in? Um, you know, some animals don't, like I said, like the top of their head, or if they're older, they don't like their hind legs to be touched. There's sore spots. So it's good for kids to know that too. Um, so that's the process in every single presentation that we go through and it doesn't matter how many animals I bring with me I can have four animals and the kids will get in four different lines and they'll rotate through but each animal they ask reception line it's a reception line exactly and again it's through that repetition where they start to it becomes an ingrained behavior you know where they um, learn that that that's how I do it each time I meet a pet you know, whether I'm on a trail, but we do talk about, you know, what happens if you see a pet in a car with the window down or a dog barking behind a fence, you know, do you put your hand in? And a lot of times kids already know the answer to this. They know you're not supposed to. Instinctually. Sure. Yeah. Like I know, you know, my parents, a lot of times up here, parents are so good at teaching their kids at a young age safety. And that's one of those big safety components where we don't want the animal to bite just because that's their territory and that's what they do. It becomes the dog's fault, not our fault. But we went into their territory. We put our hand into the car and then we got bit and the dog's in trouble. And then now the dog's in trouble. Yes, and the dog's in trouble. So it's unfair. So it's that, you know, teaching the kids about protecting the pets in our community too because we don't want them to get in trouble for something that they don't quite understand or something that's scary to them. Um, We talk about... Do you play with um, a dog's food bowl while they're eating? You know, the answer is always no. You just let them eat in peace. Do we wake up an animal? No, we don't wake up an animal. And I have had my kids in instances where they've jumped on, on a dog and been bit. That's happened to my own kids. And, you know, we've had to talk about what happened during that situation. And it hasn't happened a second time, you know, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm glad everything was fine the first time. But, but there is a lot of learning to be done. Um, you know, we live in an area where dogs are off leash and I know that you and myself have have been on trails where there's a dog and there is no owner. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, I tell kids, um, and my own kids as well, that if there's no owner present, you don't touch the dog because it's really important to know if the animal is safe before you pet them. It'd be nice to assume if they're off leash, they're (laughs) fine. But I think many of us know living up here for so many years that that's not always the case. Right. So it's just that safety element of if you don't see the owner, don't touch the dog because right. you just don't know, just in case. Yeah. You mentioned you take a number of animals to the classroom. Which other kind of pets do you have at the shelter? So we have dogs and cats. That's kind of our primary species that we can house well. But we do also take in small domesticated mammals from time to time. 
Um, this is an area that's a little more difficult and challenging to adopt those pets out to. Um, a lot of us leave our doors open and our dogs kind of go in and out. And so it, it can be challenging to have a free roaming bunny in someone's house, but we do get them in and we do get really great adopters. Um, so small domesticated mammals would be hamsters, guinea pigs. We've had rats, um, bunnies. I always tell people they're not the bunnies in your front yard. If they hop away from you, they're, they're wild. They're not domesticated. Um, we have also had some other interesting animals come in. They generally get claimed. We've had some pigs and some mini horses. We've had some roosters. Um, and we've always been able to either rehome them um, with their original owner, or if it's an animal like a rooster that's not allowed in the town here, we've been able to find a safe um, rehoming option for them. Um, but we don't take in farm animals or um, birds or reptiles. However, if they do come in, we figure it out. That is something that we will figure out. We don't just like let them loose and let them go. Oh, right. Take them to the city. <laughs> take them to Truckee Regional. Yeah. <laughs> we don't just let life. them go. <laughs> no. So we do, you know, we're really responsible in that way that we have a lot of um, network partners that we can reach out to to say, hey, we've got this rooster in. You know, we are not zoned to have roosters in the town of Truckee. Do you have space at your shelter, at your sanctuary where you could take this rooster and rehome them? And that generally works. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, is there a seasonal element to your work at the shelter? Um, you know, there used to be. There used to be a time where there was kind of a puppy season and a kitten season. Um, there's still there's still kind of a kitten season. It tends to be um, spring to it kind of keeps getting pushed back later and later. It used to be kind of end of summer. Now it's more fall, end of fall, where we still see kittens coming in. Generally in the winter, we don't see a lot of kittens because cats are not. And in this area, we don't get a lot of kittens. We rescue out of other shelters for kittens where they are, where they have a lot of pets coming in. Um, but they're, you know, it's winter is generally not a time, especially if it's a big winter where they can be out mating, um, and being able to get pregnant and then have those litters of kittens. It doesn't generally happen in the winter, but it can, um, with puppies, there's not really a season anymore. Um, and again, we have such a great community here that um, is just well-educated. And I you know, appreciate that so much. We don't get a lot of puppies from this community either or any of the communities that we help in general. Um, so we do a lot of rescue out of other shelters where they just don't have the same resources, the same um, level of education that our communities do, where they're not breeding, you know, where, where they are breeding animals more than what's happening here. Right. So... Um, Puppy seasons, you know, it may be happening in other parts of this of the United States, but I would say in kind of our general area here, um, we don't really tend to have one anymore. Right. Although COVID, COVID kind of um, changed that a little bit because there was a hiatus of um, spaying and neutering in vet offices for a very good chunk of 2020. And you saw the output of that. Then. We're seeing it right now. Wow. The whole United States is seeing it wow. right now. So what happened was in most states, and I've been on some national calls to kind of gather this information, and I know from our own state here, um, when those lockdowns went into place, uh, especially here in California, there was a period of time where vet offices and shelter clinics could only do emergency surgeries. And community spaying and neutering or spaying and neutering in general was not seen as an emergency. Being in our field, that is it an kind emergency. Of is. <laughs> there's, a, there's timing to all of that. Right. Um, and then there's an effect to not having that done. And that's what we're seeing now. 
There's a lot more kittens, a lot more puppies. Um, and there's certain regions of the United States that are seeing more population bursts than here. They're seeing population bursts of bunnies and other animals too that just could not get in to get those spay neuter surgeries taken care of. And mating happened in that in between time. In that and time frame. Now it's, you know, they're starting to kind of see that the shelters wow. fill up. So And on the demand side, I during COVID, everyone wanted a puppy. So that was really interesting. So what I did, I redid all of our training during COVID. And when we started to reintroduce volunteers to the shelter again, we had everyone go back through training and we're in that process now. And one of the things that I did is I researched the data between 2019 and 2020 to see what really happened. Because I myself was thinking United States wise, look at all these people wanting to adopt and the lack of animals in the shelter. And I myself was wrong. What happened was there was a lack of animals entering the shelter. So there were actually less adoptions happening as a total. So if you look at the the United States as a whole, in 2019, we had about a million animals more entering shelters. So we actually had more adoptions, more euthanasias. That kind of just tends to follow. In 2020, when a lot of those lockdowns happened, people were working from home, animals were not being brought to the shelter. Um. So we had less animals coming to the shelter, less adoptions, less euthanasia. So what happened was, and in what I you know, came to terms with too, is that these shelters that didn't have the same demand for us to be taking animals because they were overwhelmed, during COVID, they, did, they weren't overwhelmed, but it was because animals weren't coming into the shelter. So they were able right. to manage the population. So we didn't have more adopters. We actually were down about 20%, oh, which was really interesting. Yeah. So, you know, we, we all in the animal welfare field were kind of like, oh, are we on this new trajectory of less intakes? And, and then the middle of 2021 hit and people started going back to the office and moving and traveling and shelters started filling back up again. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to look at the data when the end of 2021 hits. And even more interestingly, will be 2022 kind of be able to look at from 2019 to 2022 to see what exactly happened during this time um, with shelters. And so I do think there were a lot of people looking for pets more than normal, Um, but not everyone was going to a shelter to get the pet. There were a lot of people that were for sure, Um, but not everyone. And I do know that the demand here in town was higher. We just didn't have the influx of animals coming in. So we couldn't necessarily satisfy all of those adoptions at that time too. So right. had we had more animals coming in, we may have done more adoptions. It's, it's hard to know, right. but, um, but there was a, a bit of a higher demand. We did see that, but we just didn't see the same intake numbers, the animals coming in. So it was right. a really interesting yeah. thing. Everything's changing. Yeah. It is so strange. <laughs> and so you've resumed your training program. Yes. And training on how to be a foster family. We're doing on how to volunteer. Yes. And we've incorporated kids back into all of that as well. We just have everyone who's not vaccinated um, while the while the mask mandate remains the same is that if we're indoors and you're not vaccinated, you're wearing a mask. So kids that are coming in are wearing their masks if they're under 12, not vaccinated. Um, And then if you are vaccinated and you've shown us proof of that and you don't want to wear your mask, that's fine. Or if that's what makes you feel comfortable still, that's also okay indoors. Um, But we do allow kids as young as eight to volunteer. They just need to have a parent or guardian with them. And the whole process, you go through that training together. So it's the adult, the child, or the family um, that goes through it all. 
for fostering, we just need one adult from the house to go through the foster training. And then we have that one adult who knows all the rules, all the guidelines, and then we can add them to our foster list. And they'll get emails about animals that come in when we have a foster need and, and be able to help out at that time. Right. But children are welcome to that training Absolutely. as well. Yep. Wonderful. And we do have some families that say, you know, even when we say just one adult is all we need, and they say, no, I want my kids to be a part and learn this information. And we right. very much appreciate right. that. Right. That's wonderful. <laughs> but we also, you know, as a mom of three, recognize how hard that can be sometimes <laughs> to get everybody right. there in that training. Um, because it's still COVID, we are doing everything via Zoom. Um, and it has its pros and cons. There's no limit to how many I can have in a right. Zoom training, which is great. But I really like being in front of people yeah. when we're giving our trainings. And I like to connect with people. And I feel like there's a lot more engagement when you're there face-to-face versus in your little tiny squares on the computer. Yeah. I can't wait till we're 100% there again. Oh, I hope that's <laughs> Especially soon. for the little ones. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If someone wants to get involved... What's the best way to connect? So the best way, they can email me. It's erin at hstt.org. So erin at hstt.org. I'll put that in the show notes. Yes. And then my um, phone number, my office line, now that I'm back in the office more, is 530-582-2472. So you can call or email. Okay. A website? Website is www.hstt.org. And it's got all of our information, all of our programs and services, um, it lists out how to apply for different programs and services that we have. Um, and as the community engagement director now, which is a newer title for me, if there are any listeners out there that um, have ideas or um, see some holes in the community where we could meet certain needs that maybe we are not thinking about, I would love to hear about that too. So feedback oh on how goodness, we could do more. Oh my goodness, I almost forgot. Our director at Kids Zone, Carol Maher, she wanted to ask about <laughs> having children read to dogs. Oh, yes. She heard what a wonderful thing that is for literacy. Yes. Well, so, that's, a, you know, we go into a whole other topic there. But <laughs> No, no, no. That's, that's one of the programs I think is one of my more favorite ones. Um, and that was one that we started well over a decade ago. Um, and it wasn't something that I just created myself. It was in other areas. I just kind of took that information and made it work for the community here. But we have several um, pet therapy teams that branch out to our schools um, and to other programs, uh, Boys and Girls Club, the library. Um, in fact, tomorrow, four to five, the library at the regional park, they're doing it outdoors. Oh. Kids can go and they have activities set up. And then we have our dogs and we have one um, read up for fun cat. That's part of our reading program where kids can go and take a book and they can read to those teams. And so what it does is it just creates this non-judgmental, non-scary environment for kids that um, are either really introvert and shy and scared to read aloud um, or kids that are just having some difficulty or if they're EL students and English isn't the first language spoken at home and they need some help. This is an environment where it's just you, the dog, the handler, the bond. You know, it's once a week that they meet with this team and they really get to know the dog. And by the end of it, or even maybe even the second visit, the kids are laying on the dog and they're reading the book Aww. to the dog. The dog sleeps through most of it and the cat sometimes too, but the kids don't seem to care. They're just so excited to get chosen for this special program 
that makes them feel so good about getting to learn to read in an environment that feels really safe and really comfortable. And then obviously our handlers are there because the dog can't tell them, you know, that's not how you say that <laughs> word. Or, and, uh, and our handlers can ask questions. So there's, there's an element of comprehension that's there too. And that really helps to get these kids up to grade level. So right. it's a helpful program. Fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much thank for you. sharing with our Small Talk Tahoe listeners. Of course. Really appreciate it. And I hope everyone who's uh, interested finds you. Yes. I'll have everything in the show notes. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thanks for listening to Small Talk Tahoe by Kids Own Museum. And remember that you can support us by sharing this podcast with friends and family. Until next time.